Well, welcome this weekend. We're glad you're here. Um, I want to declare to you today that this is a great day. Uh, the Bible says, this is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you believe that? Okay. A few of you believe that, but you're going to as we go along. And besides that, any day closer to the opening of football season is a great day. How many of you know that? Okay. I'm a little alarmed that some of you were more excited about that than you were about the first one. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus, from one of our campuses, you know, all around the southeast, and also uh, here uh, in the warehouse or in the chapel or online. We're glad to uh, have you along with us. And I also today want to welcome those of you from Crossroads Church. We, we want to say uh, to you uh, that our family here, Seacoast family, uh, just wants to put our arms around your church and invite you into our home uh, for the next few weeks. And so we're glad you're here, and we want to welcome you today. Let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever been asked a question that you should know the answer to, but it kind of stumped you? Ever? I mean, like, for instance, how many kids do you have? And you should know. <laughs> Maybe that's grandkids. Or uh, what are your kids' ages? I get asked that all the time. My standard reply is that's their mother's job to keep track of that. I love them. Uh, or their birthdays or even their names, you know. Well, recently a friend asked me, we, we were uh, a couple of friends, uh, pastor friends and I were out for a real late dinner downtown Charleston a few weeks ago, and, um, and we, you know, we were having a light conversation, and one of them said, I, I want to ask you a serious question. I said, okay. And uh, he, he said, um, what is the secret to raising a great family? What is the secret to raising a great family? And then he, uh, he started talking about our family, and he said, we, you know, our kids are a little bit younger. We would love to you know, uh, we love what's going on in your family. They lived in another state. They, uh, they know us, but they kind of follow us on Facebook and all that kind of thing. What does it take to, to raise a great family? And my first, re I was stumped, to be honest with you. My, my first response was Instagram. Um, what you do is <laughs> nobody knows what Instagram is. You should know. Uh, you take pictures, and then you, uh, with Instagram, what you can do is you can kind of doctor up the parts you don't want anybody to see, and then you post that on Facebook or Twitter or whatever your social media of choice is. So you ask the question, I'm proud of my family. Now, we have four children, we have nine grandchildren, and, uh, and I really am proud of them, but immediately I made a, a list of mental reasons about why it was not a secret or, or what we didn't do right. My first one was, it was not because of my excellent fathering skills. Um, I, I try real hard, but I don't know that I'm the, the model father by any means. And uh, I, I spent a lot of my fathering time feeling a little guilty, to be honest with you. You know, um, some of the churches that I was a part of, you know, had this picture of a father that was great, but it was just almost impossible to live up to. And... Um, and, I, and honestly, there were 
things that I didn't live up to, I didn't feel like. And you say, well, what are they? Well, it's none of your business. Um, and, and it wasn't without bumps along the way. If you took a look at our family picture, um, occasionally there would be a psycho boyfriend. Uh, there would be self-image breakdowns, uh, sometimes battles with discouragement with the kids and on and on and on. I mean, there, there were all of these things that we chose not to post in our, in our family picture. But I am very, very proud of what they are becoming. I'm proud of their story in God. You know, we all have images of what a perfect family looks like, don't we? You know, it's a, it's a mom and dad that love each other, but he's in charge. You know, dad leads devotions at breakfast, and they pray together every night, and that's a good thing. Um, they listen to worship music in the car. They have framed verses on the walls. They vote conservative and go to church every week, and their children rise up every morning and call their parents blessed. You know, that's kind of that's the picture and uh, when, when you go to church websites, I cruise church websites every once in a while, you see kind of this picture of the perfect family on websites. For instance, take a look at this one. See, this is, this is a perfect family. I mean, these, these guys look great. He looks perfectly groomed. He's cool and hip. She looks like a model for Banana Republic. She probably is. The kids are two and a half years apart with smiles to die for. In fact, the children hold the doors for one another as they go, as they go in and out of the house. Now, if you were to look at, if you were to see an outside picture of this home, the sun is always shining and they've just come, they've just come from a picnic, I'm sure. Now, here's the problem with that picture is that they aren't real. This is a, this is a staged photo that's been photoshopped. They probably aren't even married. The kids don't even know each other's name, but it looks great, doesn't it? And what it does is it creates an ideal and a sense of dissatisfaction in us because the reality in most of us is quite different than what you see there. You know, your family picture may look more like this. This. That actually is Phil Strange, our Somerville campus pastor. That's his extended family. Or, <laughs> love you, Phil and Sherry. Uh, or, or it may look like this, and that, that's Sam Lasky's family, and uh, they're all in witness protection, you know. <laughs> the point is, real families come in a lot of different shapes, and it's entirely possible that something may have altered the shape of your family. It may have been an affair. It may have been a divorce. It may have been a death. It may be an addiction or an out-of-control son or daughter. It might be stress from your career or money or too many nights at the soccer field with the kids. You know, it could be boredom or an accident or somebody gets fired. Family is messy and parenting is hard. And there's no single model. Some models are helpful, but there's no single model that's perfect. I think of some of my friends. Um, I am thinking of uh, one couple in particular. Um, I'll call them Joe and Kathy. And uh, um, both of them, pre-Christ, burned through a couple of marriages. And... Uh, 
Uh, when they found one another, um, friends would have predicted this one won't last either, but it has. Uh, they adopted several kids from various countries. They have a multiracial family, and, uh, and it works. Uh, but you'll, you'll never see a picture of them on, on a church website because it doesn't look like, especially with their history, the perfect family. I think of my grandmother. Um, her husband cheated on her off and on for several years, and then finally he walked out when my mother was 10 years old. My grandmother, during an era or season when that was not so prevalent, raised three daughters and then ultimately raised her granddaughter as well. Her family, um, I'm proud of being from that family, to be honest with you. I'm proud of how God used her. And yet that family would never have made it on a church website because it's not the perfect family. I think of a couple I met recently when I was preaching at another church. And um, they, they were sitting right here on the front row. And they were obviously both mentally challenged. And so I talked uh, to the pastor a little bit afterwards at lunch about the couple. And, and um, he said, yeah, they met at church. And, um, and we kind of walked them through some things. And now they're facing the reality of a family, and as I looked at them, I said, yay God, let's, let's go, but I don't think you'd ever see their picture on the church website because it's just not the ideal perfect family. Well, how about in the Bible? You find some good families in the Bible, you really do, but you also find that Noah had a drinking problem, Abraham offered his wife to another man, that's kind of dysfunctional, um, Rebecca schemed so her favorite son could deceive his father, Isaac. Jacob's sons sold their brothers uh, or their brother into slavery. David had an affair and uh, actually m murdered um, the woman's husband that um, he had an affair with or had him murdered. And then he failed to discipline his kids. One son started a rebellion. And yet if you fast forward, that wasn't the end of the story. In fact, in the New Testament... God calls David a man after his own heart. Uh, Eli couldn't control his sons in church. Mary and Joseph, now there's a good family. I really think that they are, but they left Jesus at church three days one time. If they, <laughs> if they, if they would have been here today, we would have reported them to DSS probably. <laughs> in fact, if most of the parents in the Bible showed up at Seacoast, we'd suggest counseling. But God included their story in his story to give us hope. We can say if God can use them, then he can use anybody. My mom used to say everybody's good for something, even if it's just to make a bad example, you know. And, and, uh, and, but, but, God, but God worked through their story, and he works through ours. God loves using broken people to tell his story. What, what, what if we all invited God? into our less-than-ideal story and learn to cooperate with what he wants to do through us, do you think that would radically change your story? I think it would. And that's what we want to do with this series. We're going to be honest with each other. We're going to be honest with where we are. And then we're going to invite God into our story. And then we're going to learn some principles that hopefully allow us to cooperate with his spirit. And we're going to watch the story change for his glory. The series is called Fight for the Heart, Reaching the Next Generation, and we're going to lean heavily into the book Parenting Beyond Your Capacity by Reggie Joyner and 
Carrie Newhoff. In fact, I want to, um, we, we just want to give you a, a short kind of video of uh, what this series is going to be about and how you can best use it in your uh, circle of relationships. Hey everyone, my name is Ernest Smith. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at Seacoast Church. And we are so excited about this series, Fight for the Heart. You see, we believe here in Family Ministry that it is our desire and goal to best care for and to support you as parents and as families, whether you have kids who are infants or kids who are in college. And what we wanna do over the next four weeks is we wanna capitalize on this series and be intentional about resourcing you as parents and as families. And we're gonna do that in a few different ways. Number one, we've created some teaching videos that your kids will be watching in their children's rooms. And these teaching videos will teach on the same value that you and I will be learning from Pastor Greg. That way you can have some meaningful conversations with your kids at the house about how you can implement these values into your family life. We also are gonna create some postings on the cities for our volunteers and our parents. And these postings will simply summarize the value for the week and give you some ideas of how you can implement these values into your family life and into your volunteer life. Also, we've created a group called the GPS, which is Godly Parenting Support. And in this group, we simply want to resource you as parents about how to be more intentional and, uh, and to support your family the way that God wants you to do it. And so we want to do some giveaways throughout the next four weeks for those of you who join this group. So simply search on the city for GPS group and you'll find us there. Also, we'll have a devotional to give away to each family as you leave the service today and each weekend. The devotional will focus on the value that has been taught and will give you some family activities and some discussion questions that you can have uh, for your family throughout the week. And then lastly, what we wanna do is we wanna encourage you to take the Fight for the Heart Challenge. Now what we wanna do is we wanna create a challenge that you will take up to where you'll say, you know what, for the next four weeks, I'm gonna be intentional about uh, really diving into these values that I'm gonna be taught and implementing these values in my family life. If you simply just take your Connect card, fill it out with all of your information, and write on there the word challenge. Take this card to your family ministry kiosk or your guest services kiosk at your campus. When you turn it in, they'll give you a, a packet, a resource packet. And this packet is going to have a lot of resources to care for you and to support you over the next four weeks, but it'll also have this book which is called Parenting Beyond Your Capacity, which is basically the, the foundation of where this series came from. We want to give this to you as parents to help better care for you, to better resource you, and to, to help you in your journey as parents. So take the challenge. Be willing to say for the next four weeks, I'm gonna be intentional about really developing these values in the life of my family. Thank you so much. In the Old Testament, there is a great but reluctant leader named Moses that we're all familiar with. I won't go through you know, his whole story. But Moses basically obeyed God's call on his life, even though he didn't feel like he was up to it. He was necessarily you know, the first round draft choice. But he obeyed God's call, and he delivered God's people from uh, Egyptian bondage. And he led them uh, through the desert for a number of years. They were at the edge of the promised land, when a rumor starts kind of filtering through the people that Moses is going to step down as a leader. And so Moses gathers the people for one last speech. 
How many of you know when you know it's your last one, you're going to put everything important that you can into it? I love John chapter 14 through 17 where Jesus sits down with his disciples and gives some of the, some of the best teaching that you'll ever hear in your life because he knows this is my last shot at it. Well, that's what it is with Moses. And so he gathers them all around. He knows it's crucial for them to pass their faith to the next generation. This generation has seen God do some incredible things. But there's coming a generation that will not have seen that, will not have experienced that. And he knows that if their faith is going to last, that they've got to pass it down to the next generation. And so here's his talk. Here's the beginning of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be your, on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. Wells that you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery. You know, as I, I read that, I, you know, it, it's, it's easy to seek the Lord during difficult times, but during times of prosperity... That's when we forget him, and that's what he's warning them about. And so in this pivotal moment in Israel's history, Moses speaks to the entire nation. He doesn't just speak to parents about how you deal with your kids. And if you're here today, you're going, oh my goodness, a parenting series, what, what does it have for me, either I'm single or, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my kids are well beyond years of my influence, which that's not true. Uh, or, or maybe you never had kids. Listen, this message is for you. This message is for you. Moses stood up uh, in front of all of Israel, and he calls on everybody to be responsible for how the next generation will be raised. Moses realizes that God chose two entities, the family and the faith community, through which to tell his story to the next generation. And both of those, the church and the family, have broken people. People who, who you, you say, is that really who you want telling your story? And God says, yes. Both exist for the same reason, to show a broken world that God's message of restoration and redemption is for them. And so today, one thought, one thought I want you to, to uh, kind of leave with or focus on, and that's this. Parents, you're not alone. You don't have to do this on your own. Hillary Clinton made famous an African proverb that says it takes a, a village to raise a child. And I think it does. Um, and let me, let, me, let me tell you how that played out in our family. Let's go back to that conversation at the restaurant where my friends asked me, what's the secret to raising a, a great family? And, and, and I thought about that. First, I kind of stumbled over and I told them. I talked to them about my shortcomings, some of the things that happened in our families we went along just just so that you know it's not perfect 
And, uh, and then I thought secrets. Well, there's two or three. One is genetic, marry well. You know, if, if, you, if you weigh over marry, then it'll take care of a lot of stuff. And uh, secondly, you lean into God's grace because you're going to need God's grace. And then the third thing was this, and this is something that I want to talk to you about for basically the rest of our time. It's something Debbie and I have talked for a long time and we've wanted to share. Um, and I guess this is the context for it. But probably the thing more than anything else that helped us in parenting our kids was finding a good church. Finding a good church. Uh, our, our Three of our four kids, one, our oldest child was born in Colorado. And then three of our uh, four kids were born in the Midwest, in Freeport, uh, Illinois. Um, we, we pastored a small church there that's now grown to be a very, very large church. And uh, in the early years, there were about 30 of us to 50. And Ruth Babbler, who's probably watching right now at Crossroads, um, lived right around the corner from us. She was our neighbor, and, and she was also in our church. And she became kind of, she was Debbie's best friend, and she became a second mother to our kids. Uh, when we kind of wanted to know, how, how do you do this? How do you, my, our parents were far away and, and right there within our church was someone who loved our kids almost as much as we did. That small church, some of you remember, it was a small town, small growing church. We raised our kids together. Then we moved, and that was just a hard time for us. We thought, will we ever find relationships like this? The early years at Seacoast were tough. They really were. Some people ask me, well, what about the good old days? Don't you want to go back to there? No. No, 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 no. I just call them the old days. I'm not sure they were the good old days. There are some good memories, but it was rough. It really was. Um, I remember the summer of uh, set up and tear down uh, in a temporary facility that had no air conditioning, and we were still into wearing suits and ties and all of that, and it's Charleston, and it's 90 degrees and 80% humidity, and our kids, you know, hey, kids, we get to set up chairs for our Wednesday night service tonight. Yeah, yay. You know, I made up all kinds of fun things with that that were all lies, but they, uh, <laughs> they helped us to get through. And, and then there weren't a lot of kids in our, in our church. It was a small church. There weren't a lot of kids. And, and uh, Debbie and I r remember, you know, uh, by the time we left uh, Freeport, there, were, there, were, there was a solid kind of thing for our family, and now not so much. And, and, and we prayed, God, help us in this deal. And here's what God did. God brought people in our church alongside of us. One of the first ones was Sharon Wilson. I wrote a chapter in my book about Sharon, I, I loved her, and she went to be with the Lord. She was a single girl, and she decided she was going to pour herself into the next generation of other people, and she was a blessing to our family in so many ways. Uh, I remember early on a young couple, I, I was praying, somebody connect with my boys, and a young couple started coming to our church, and um, he was a real outgoing personality. She was real hospitable. They said, we want to help with kids. I thought, well, maybe this will be the ones. And so they became, you know, Sunday school teachers in our church. But they did more than just kind of put their time in on the weekend. They had parties and stuff for the kids during the week. They pulled my kids in. I can remember sometimes laying down at night actually weeping and saying, God, thank you for this couple that loves my kids seemingly 
as much as I do. Remember the youth pastors that came through, Terry and Brenda Hilgers, Pete and Lori Ferguson, Andy and Kelly Hine, Naeem and Ashley, Sam and Jones stepped in for a period of time, Lesky to help. Um, I, I remember the small group leaders that influenced our kids, Bob Dodenhoff. I remember there was a single guy named Hal that decided he was going to go after my boys and two or three other boys and really see if God could uh, be formed in their lives. And you know, I'd like to tell you that Joshua, who you guys know as one of our teaching pastors, really came to Christ because Dad led him in a Bible study. didn't happen. It was Hal that led him in a Bible study. And he came to Christ radically saved during that time. I thank God for him and always will. Uh, for my girls, Bobby Barr and Nancy Kelly, Ross Page, on and on and on, uh, helped to raise our kids. It, was, it has been a community. Uh, the church has been so good. I was uh, with a, another pastor friend not long ago, came to visit me, and they all want to go fishing because they see me post pictures on Instagram of big fish. And I only post when I get a big fish, and I don't go that often, but he said, let's go fishing. So I did. So we went up the Wando River, and some of you who are here in Mount Pleasant know, know where that is. The Wando, the Ashley, and the um, Cooper come together to form the Atlantic Ocean, and it just kind of is, is like that. <laughs> but um, so, so I was up the Wando. We like to fish up the creeks in the Wando, and so we were in a, in a little boat, and we came around the corner, and I slowed down. And I said, see all those houses over there that, you know, have docks on the, on the water here that are along the shore over there? Yeah. I said, most of those people go to Seacoast, and they have since the very beginning. And I pointed out, I said, see that house right there? That's Ray and Angela Waits. And they helped raise our kids. I told them that. They helped raise our kids. Our, our boys would go out and spend the night there, and it was just kind of a different atmosphere. Angela loves animals. And she would let all kinds of dogs in the house. And I don't do that. You know, I, I, I do, we don't have dogs in our house. And, and we love dogs in other people's houses. But they need to experience, you know, and, the, and, and they would counsel with and talk with, pour their hearts out to. So that one's Bobby Riggs right there. Bobby taught my kids how to fish. And there's all kinds of family memories. And Robin was so hospitable. And then our neighbors uh, back then... Uh, when we were raising our kids, were Ron and Libby Hamilton, who's our campus pastor in the West Campus. And they just lived two doors down. Our kids spent as much time at their house as ours. You know, it sounds like our kids didn't want to be at our house. You know, I, I don't know. The Dooley's around the corner, and Craig and Lee Sherman would help drive them to school. The point that I'm making is that my kids needed adults other than me and their mother to influence them, to pour their hearts out to occasionally. You say, well, you know what? I, I protect that with my kids. And, and, and you know, we, we did too, only certain people. But I've heard some people say, my kids tell me everything. Really? <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Did you tell your parents everything? There, there, there are some times when your kids need another adult to pour their lives out. And who are they going to turn to when they need more than you? What kind of advice are they going to give? You need to get comfortable with the fact that you won't always be the one that they run to. Get over the idea that somebody else might have inside info on your family 
You worry about your kids. Well, your kids will say at prayer request time in kids' church. <laughs> we love that. Come on, tell us more. Tell us more. No, we don't. I used to worry about that. I'm the pastor. What are my kids going to say, you know? We had one of our pastors, uh, one of his kids one time, it was Easter Sunday, and, um, and the, uh, the Sunday school teacher came and told us that his son, they wanted to know how the pastor was, because his son, during prayer request time that morning at kids' church, had said, pray for my daddy, because at breakfast this morning, he just barfed, and... Uh, and fell off his chair, you know. And so the teacher came and said, is he all right? It was, a total, it, it was totally made up. The kid just wanted to have a story, you know, <laughs> that other people could pray for, you know. It can be embarrassing, but sometimes we need to choose to be more concerned with what our kids need as children than how you look as a parent. The bigger question is, what are you doing to encourage your child's relationship with people outside the home. Here's what Moses said. Moses said, hear, O Israel. He didn't say, just hear parents. He said, hear, O Israel. It's for everybody. Family in Hebrew culture would have included parents, children, workers in the home, adult children with spouses and family. In fact, households would be as many as 80 people because it takes a community to raise children. I think our culture puts too much pressure on parents. You know, it's, it's your job. And, and a, to a great degree it is. But one of the benefits of Seacoast Church and Crossroads Church to me is that they helped me to raise my kids. Reggie Joyner and Carrie Newhoff in their book give three ideas about how to widen the circle of influence. How do you widen the circle of influence? I'm just going to really briefly, a couple minutes each, touch on them uh, as we kind of wind down here. How to widen the circles of influence. Number one, they say look for a church that values community. Look for a church that values community. More and more churches are seeing the value of community. Our church is a church built on small groups. Uh, we believe that, that you need to find people to do life with. 10 to 12, maybe a missional community uh, would be bigger than that, where that you have a passion for a certain area of uh, dysfunction in society or underserved people, and so you band together. But can I tell you, listen, for us, the cause is not the thing, okay? The cause is not the thing. The Bible study in the group is not necessarily the thing. Those are all good stuff. But the thing is opening up our lives to one another and doing life together. You can hide behind a Bible study. You can hide behind a cause. You can have all kinds of things going on, not even know the people in your group. We value community here. We value community not only with adults, but with our kids. Our kids' ministry is built on small groups. Every area of ministry has small groups. So look for that. And here's, here's what you can do as a parent. Two things, I thought. Number one, get your kids involved. Get your kids involved. Uh, get them involved in small groups that are age-appropriate. I know some of you like to bring your kids uh, in here on, on, uh, on the weekend, and that's fine, you know, to, to listen to me. I'm a pretty funny guy. Your kids like me. It's great. But um, you're going to have to work harder if you do that to get your kids involved in age-appropriate small groups, and I think it's really, really important that we do that. Um, the second thing is be as consistent as you can. Be as consistent as you can. When you're thinking about do we go to church this weekend? Do we not? What do we do? 
And I don't want to be legalistic about this, but you know, we make choices that the unintended consequences are, happen in our kids. And so be as consistent as you possibly can, not only in kind of being here, but in coming to the same services. It's okay every once in a while we got to, you know, where schedule hits, we got to go to another service. But when, when you come to the same service consistently, then your kids get the, get the same leadership and consistent leadership, which is helpful in uh, helping you and assisting you as a parent to raise your kids. And so the first thing that you do in widening your circle is look for a church that values community. Second thing is find opportunities for your kids to serve. Find opportunities for your kids to serve. See, something more important than getting your kids to go to church on the weekend is helping them find opportunities to serve others, which encourages them to be the church, not just go to church. Did you get that? It's not about going to church. It's about being the church. When we go to church, we encourage one another to be the church. And when your kids learn how to serve, then they learn how to be the church. Don't underestimate what serving in the church, in the community, and in the world can do to the hearts of your kids. I love around Seacoast seeing these little t-shirts that say, Nerve to Serve. Have you seen those, some of you? Kids wear them, Nerve to Serve. And what that's saying is that's saying that they're high schoolers that are serving middle schoolers. They're middle schoolers that are serving elementary school kids. And they're all, in some way, figuring out how to serve the community. I love that. Mission trips, for us, were great for our kids when they were growing up. It was a little scary at first. I remember sending my kids off to, um, you know, another country. I mean, how scary is that? But I was amazed to see their hearts change. In fact, one mission trip could do more for their discipleship and their formation as a child uh, or a teenager than, you know, months of, of my encouragement, which was important too. But there, it's like a... It's just like a condensed, power-packed version of seeing Jesus work in their lives. Um, their hearts were changed. One of our adult children, um, after the kids were married, and this was just a few years ago, and, and uh, before we had grandkids, so it was easier to do this kind of thing, we, we all went to uh, a cabin in Tennessee of, over a Thanksgiving to, uh, um, to just celebrate together together. Uh, and so th this was um, so a pretty good-sized cabin because we have four kids, and all four were married. And then we had uh, one of the in-laws with us, too. So I think we had six bedrooms in the cabin, rented it for two days. And, uh, and so it was, the, the bedrooms, they were all nice, but some of them were nicer than others. You understand what I'm saying? And so it was kind of a first-come, first-serve uh, on choosing bedrooms. Now, we've learned to do it differently. Since then, we've grown in the Lord. We don't do that anymore. We, we have a lottery system. But then it was kind of first come, first serve. And so they were racing to get up there. And one of my children were less than satisfied, let's just say, with the, the final choice that she had. I'm going to tell you who she was. She is my youngest daughter. And, and so, and so she was a little concerned with the whole deal. And so I took her husband aside and I said, is she going to be okay? And he said, she'll be fine. She just needs another mission trip. Which <laughs> kind of puts it in perspective. Widen the circle by finding a church that embraces community, looks for opportunities to serve. One more. 
Search for mentors in your community. Mentors in your community. A father in this church who is a friend of mine called me one day. And he has a lot, at that point he had a lot of responsibility on him as a leader in our community. And, and he asked if, uh, if I would have lunch with his son. And I said, you and him with me? And he said, no, no. He said, I want you to have lunch with my son. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, it's not a problem, really. He's just going off to college. And I've asked several of my friends to mentor him in their area of expertise. And I'd love for you, just before he goes, just to kind of develop a little bit of rapport, talk to him and mentor him in what you do well. And so I thought, well, this, I'll do it, you know. Um, and it was a little uncomfortable at first as you sit down with a kid that you have seen but haven't really uh, known that well. And we, we sat and we, we talked. And, and honestly, now I've done it with two of his sons. And I've received phone calls on a couple of occasions from his sons now that are in college asking my opinion on things and choices that they were looking at and how that, that would affect them in the long run. Never would have happened if he hadn't reached out. Now, disclaimer, please don't call me, everybody, wanting me to have, I'm like, I can't do anymore, you know. But there are people, there are people, uh, if you look around, who maybe have expertise in various areas and love the Lord, and that you could, when you widen the circle, um, the goal is to have other trusted adults in your kids' lives before they need them so that when they need them, They'll be there. And so, and so here it is. If you're a parent, God never intended you to live your life in isolation. The same is true of families. We are here for one another. Hero Israel. Hero Seacoast. Hero Crosswords. Roads. The Lord our God is one. And it's our responsibility, all of us as a community, to pass the story of God to the next generation. And so in these next three weeks now, I want to challenge you. Let's learn some principles, and let's do it together as a community. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your story that is a story of restoration and redemption, regardless of where we are and who we are. God, I pray that in the next few moments that we would search for you and allow you to search our hearts and to respond to you. And so, Lord, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this church as it's done in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.